I just imagine it like being lost at sea and you're just floating around the ocean and there's lots of people saying, oh, I can swim for hours, don't worry about mm. it. And God is saying, hold on to the life jacket. It's right there. All you got to do is put out your hands and hold on to it. You just reach out and take it. Mm. It's, it's the offer of salvation that we got. And um, I'm holding on. Hello and welcome. I'm Tanya Reason and this is The Gospel According to Mum, the show where we discuss the transformational work done in us by Jesus Christ as we live out motherhood and discipleship with Him. For this Rest and Recap special episode, we're taking a moment to rest and reflect on what we've heard from our Season 1 guests. It's been an amazing opportunity to learn from decades of experience and wisdom and hear the real-life stories of faithful Christian mums discipled by Christ. This episode will be co-hosted by myself and my husband, Ben Reason. Ben is the editor of the show, so has been with me and the mums throughout the whole journey. Ben will be sharing his own experience of discipleship as a father and impressions of motherhood and faith while working on the show. We'll be led through each part of this episode by the scriptures that were discussed. We begin by remembering episode one guest, Linda Chambers, and God's unfailing love and faithfulness. It's really actually exciting to be a part of this one because I do all the editing and um, it's true. just spend a lot of time having your own opinions and thoughts on the topic and realising the conversation has sort of ended and your ability to jump in and ask questions is is uh, escaping. It's nice to actually get back and be able to talk to you about what you thought because what an amazing episode to start with. And, uh, how generous... Linda was and, and brave in a lot of ways. Oh, yeah. The first episode up, an I extraordinary, extraordinary great storyteller mm. for that matter. Mm. Um, I don't want to treat her life as entertainment, but it was it was a it was real. I mean, it's not the kind of thing I listen to. Well, I was going to say that. I mean, because you've you've listened to all of the episodes, how have you found how have you found it listening to it from a from a discipleship point of view as a man and a father. Oh, um, I I was put to shame most of the time, to tell you the truth. I don't know if most men are like this. Because women are so this. amazing. Well, yeah. I've known a few amazing women, mm. honestly. <laughs> um, I've discovered that people say I'm a lot, so <laughs> I've had to be very guarded about that. <laughs> I discovered that I observed something early on in being a father, that when the baby cries... It's like someone plugged my wife into a socket. Like, it is like a, a jolt of electricity. And for me, it's like, oh, what's that noise over there? Mm. So I found myself having quite a lot of stamina for surpri- surprising and alarming sights and sounds <laughs> regarding the baby. Oh, right, yeah. And I found... I have zero tolerance for anything alarming. That it wasn't necessarily the baby crying, but aspects of... <laughs> I don't want to use too much Christianese here, but it's the best way of describing it, some kind of a spiritual journey or some kind of a walk with God, people say. It's a very different affair. And look, maybe it's the shortcomings of my faith, but a lot of these questions are being asked didn't necessarily pull on me. I don't want to say emotionally. It makes it sound like it's less, but it didn't pull on me the same way. And... I can't say I was feeling jealous about that, but I did wonder whether, I, not that I was taking it seriously enough, but I did wonder whether I was missing out. Mm. Actually hearing some of those mums and the way they threw themselves in with every cell in their bodies and 
he was feeling pretty excited. I was quite quick with a nappy change. <laughs> um, it encouraged me to, to do more, to pray more with my kids. I thought that, oh, my prayer life was not, it was going to say the same when the kids showed up. But you parent out loud, that's for sure, and mm. praying out loud is, oh, it's marvellous when they when they know your prayer and they say it back and you think, mm. that's so true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's great. It did. It, it, it definitely helped me. I didn't feel as though I needed any particular assistance, but I think mm. in some ways it actually really made some aspects of my parenthood better. Right. I, Listening I to the, the podcast. podcast yeah. Being, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, there you go. It's a podcast well, for me too. The editing, really, like because you look through and you think, what are what are they really saying? What's important? What's just my perception of what they're saying? Mm. Really listen. It's this thing. It may be a personal thing, but I tend to tear off uh, when I'm pretty sure I understand the question. Right. And <laughs> not really. Not really. Not, well, maybe I, I didn't really understand it. So going through the podcast, maybe I put more time into it than they put into it saying it. But I it was good. Mm. It was a good experience for me. Mm, it's great. Mm. Excellent. Well, I'm going to give you a chance to have your say in a second about Linda's episode. But what we'll do first is we'll just recap the scriptures that we touched on in that episode. Uh, Linda herself brought one, Genesis 3, 6, and the translation was especially important for her. It was from the message, and it reads, When the woman saw that the tree looked like good eating and realized what she would get out of it, she'd know everything. She took and ate the fruit and then gave some to her husband, and he ate. And then over the course of our conversation, a scripture that came to me from what Linda was saying was John 6, 67 and 68. Jesus said, therefore to the twelve, you don't also want to go away, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life. So just to recap on Linda Chambers' episode, Linda brought us a story, her story of right from early motherhood, she suffered the tragic loss of her first baby under very difficult circumstances. She was very young and subsequently found herself questioning her faith in a profound way um, that caused her to have a sort of do-or-die moment with God and make an, an intellectual decision to continue in her faith with him. Another theme that continued through Linda's story was being able to trust that God loved her, battling to relinquish her need to control outcomes. And that's where her scripture comes from, this um, realisation that she really wanted to control the outcome. But we'll have a look at the John scripture first because that actually comes up first in the, in the episode. And we're talking about Linda in the bath, feeling the porcelain, hard porcelain underneath her and making a decision, I need okay. a solid foundation yeah. I was thinking I don't remember that in the, in the yeah. Bible. <laughs> okay. No, no, no. I need a solid foundation in my life and you're it, she says. And that, that of course, is what Simon Peter says. Lord, to whom shall we go? There's a moment there where, you know, Christians talk about the spirit a lot. You know, there's, there's a spectrum of, of mystical in the mm. church, that it's everybody the is, is somewhere, somewhere on the spectrum. Mm. But it's rare to hear people talk about making an intellectual decision. And yet I think that Christianity is a very intelligent faith and 
at some point you have to <clears throat> you have to evangelize to yourself you say I've had this experience do you believe it yes or no and you have to, that's when you make a choice and say yes or no either way what do you think about that I think that's regarding faith I, I think that's true of most people I think that God didn't appear to everyone in his undeniable, irresistible glory. I'm not sure exactly why he did that. I would quite like that if he was across the table from us right now. But he wants us to go a certain distance on our own. It makes perfect sense then that we will actually have to go that distance. I think that the way people talk about it and think about it, the way it seems maybe a bit embarrassing or a bit difficult... That just says a lot about being a human being. People mm. on a plane being more nervous about being on the aeroplane than you know, riding a scooter down the street. You have to say to yourself, air travel's very safe, the pilot really doesn't want to crash as well, and you make that decision. You know, you, you actually getting on the plane is an act of faith, and it seems a bit silly, and you can chastise yourself for feeling a bit anxious as it takes off. I think that's just very much about being a person. It's funny how many people, figures that I'm impressed with, famous authors and things like that, have all commented on making this intellectual choice. And God wants us to also love him with all our mind. And I think mm. it makes perfect sense that that has to be a, a part of a part of the transaction. I think that we're used to being little tiny babies and having a parent finger around, figure around <laughs> to, to look after us. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, and that's very familiar and it's very lovely. And the, the idea of a baby saying, yes, you look like my parents, like that seems foreign I've got a book about strange. that. Are you my mother? Mm. And Did I have a mother? I, I don't think it's any more complex or, um, or any any more shameful than that we grew up and we have to use our mind as well a lot of people have commented and I think rightly so that it's a very natural inclination in fact some philosophers have gone so far as to say that someone who doesn't believe in God is not actually that Alvin Planica actually mm-hmm. that he is not functioning uh, to the best of his faculties mm. that, that a belief in something a creative loving presence is about as human a thing as you can do Mm. and he has volumes of books to back this up far too clever for me to even be able to open them but it seems as though the aspects of the faith and the love can come easily but actually making the decision is one of those things you have to get up and do by yourself Mm. so naturally we think oh is there something wrong with me we live in a time as well where being intellectual or asking questions is sort of frowned upon. Maybe it's just the country, but there was a time when Well, people... it's segregated, isn't it? It's not frowned upon. It's that, that you have faith, you have your spiritual life, and for that you, know, you don't need to use your mind. You use your mm-hmm. emotions for that. And over here you have all your thoughts and that's where we put science. I find it gets mm. a bit, you know... And then there's that grey area where everybody has their own truth and it's mm. true for them. And, and yeah. But anyway, we digress. Oh, I really want to digress. Yeah, but I know, we're but we're not going to. <laughs> That's right. It's curious, though, isn't it? Because Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. Yes. 
and then we're talking about but but you have to make a choice an intellectual choice yeah i think we've spoken about this sort of thing before the distinction i always want to make is knowledge and action i guess um i know that i shouldn't drive with an expired driver's license but that means I actually have to go to the DMR and get a photo that won't be as young as the one that I used to have. Yeah. <laughs> it's not my only reason, but um, <laughs> it's just one of the reasons. Uh, but they're not going to give me that license you unless I, can I show see up. Your face right now, like <laughs> it's not just in a photo. <laughs> mm, better when I'm moving. Um, okay. Anyway, uh, you have to show up, and mm. it seems like very. Uh, Well, there's there's an interesting question. There's a philosophical question, isn't there? There's this thing about the stone. What's the question about the stone? Oh, um, yeah, it's it's one of these these things like um, one of these little sort of schoolboy pranks. Like, does your mother know you're stupid? And you can say like, no, and then your mum doesn't know that you're stupid. You just call yourself stupid, or you say yes, and you call yourself stupid. And the Bible study version is can God make a stone so heavy even he can't lift it and it's supposed to be devilishly clever because either he's making something that's out of his reach or he actually isn't all powerful he's unable to make something out of his own reach and if you boil it down with word maths which is all philosophy is there's a few options the one that I like the best is you boil it down to the sentence when is God not God which is not really a sentence. But as I'm pondering this, and I'll probably get slaughtered by real philosophers, I'm going to boil that down more. Apart from when is God not God, I'm going to say, at what time has God, with his eternal scope and power and influence, created something out of his reach or influence? And... I can't help but feel that's impossible, and yet that's the way he treats us. I feel as though the stone that was too heavy to lift is kind of me. He has given me the option to remain out of his reach, I suppose, for the purpose that when I choose it, our relationship will be on a level that it wouldn't have been if I was still a rock. Mm. I don't know if that's the case. But I do feel as though oh, he just, it's through and through the story of Jesus. God humbling himself. Could Jesus have taken out those Romans? Well, he said as much. Mm. Choosing to allow his creation that I believe that he loves to say, no thanks, Dad. Um, I'm going to go and eat this fruit by myself. Mm. Really, whether we were aware of it or not, we were saying, I'm going, I'm going towards total annihilation, which as a parent is a heartbreaking. I, I mean, how would you even cope with hearing your child say that? And yet a lot of parents face that, don't they, at, at different well, points? Well, they do. That mechanism is frightening. And in this interview you're talking about, you know, the, the harsh end of it was, was in our, her existence, certainly a child that, maybe you can't have not a child that turns away from you but Mm. in a relationship that isn't a sure thing here's this new person entrusted in your life and it's not going to be safe Mm. yes why should we feel that we all feel that we must 
not outlive our children. We all have that sensation, don't we? Well, you know people do. Yeah. <laughs> I don't quite feel that way. We won't get into that, mm. but... Well, yes. we'll come back to you in controlling Look, outcomes, won't on. we? I, I, we've had a rough go ourselves with fertility and children, and I've got to say there was a lot of things, especially the birth of our first, that I didn't know until it happened. Mm. I think the reality of some of these things will, you know, of maybe losing a child while I'm, um, while I'm still alive will hit me very differently. Well, how can you possibly prepare? Yeah. But how amazing is that, that we have a God who would humble himself to the extent to give us that choice, a choice that, you know, the enemy will capitalise on. As oh, we, when we go back to Genesis 3, we'll, we'll discuss that. But, you know, I mean, I, I can remember just before I became a Christian, just before I was baptised, having read the Bible a little bit as a child, picking it up again when we started going to church, and it was like I was reading a different book. Now, that was a spiritual, I'm certain that was a spiritual um, opening of my mind. But I still had to read it and agree that it was sensible. Mm. You know, I still had a choice at that point. And I think um, choices choices are extremely important. If we go back to Genesis 3, this is um, the scripture that... Linda brought, she talks about it in the context of being able to know everything and being able to know and therefore, well, she says therefore control outcomes. But if you know everything that's going to happen, I mean, what control, what control do you really have? And if you do have control, isn't it a frightening degree of responsibility to know all, all that will happen I used to, as recently as 24 hours ago, <laughs> um, feel as though knowing everything is fantastic. Um, I would like that very much. And there's not really much evidence either way on whether the world is fixed and we have fates or whether God knows what you're going to do in a sort of Calvinist way or maybe God knows you so well that he... he understands what you'll choose to do, like is that Molinism or something? Mm. But thinking about it now, I can do one better, I've decided. You see, if you know everything, there is the possibility, as I think we've spoken about before, that knowledge will hurt you. Mm. Um, if I just, oh man, I want to eat all the chocolate in the house, and actually I know where some is possibly in your handbag or something. Um, that's, that's a bit of a pickle, I suppose, on a fairly silly example. However, Solomon, I've been thinking about Solomon recently. There's not much to do with Linda today, but he didn't choose to be able to see the future, did he? He chose wisdom. And I think mm. wisdom in that package is knowing how much knowledge is too much for you. Surely that's a sign of wisdom. And, of course, having some element of foresight. But I am not Solomon. I probably would have taken the crystal ball route, mm. possibly been able to fly. That's an that's exciting So you option. would have been Eve as well. I mean, Linda said that. She said, I don't think I would have been any different from Eve. So, well, did you need to be coaxed by me, perhaps? But you still would have eaten. Mm, I definitely wouldn't have eaten. (laughs) (laughs) 
Look, God's always listening. I don't want to get into trouble. He knows not to eat my food. <laughs> <laughs> I saw the label. No, um, oh, look, I don't know what to tell you on that one. It's hard to put yourself in her shoes. It just seems so unimaginable living this perfect kind of peaceful life with this one rule. And if she didn't already know the knowledge of good and evil, like surely she wouldn't have known that that was the wrong thing to do. But uh, maybe that's the illustrative point. Mm. Um, you don't actually have to know the outcome to know right and wrong, do you think? That's a question mark right there. Mm. I think that's true. She knew what right and wrong was because God had told her, this is what you can do and this is what you can't do. You know, enough to, to, to make, enough to not make that choice. But even even God placing the trees there, he gave them a choice. He certainly did. But here's the curious thing about this, because just prior to that, in um, Genesis 3, 1, the serpent shows up and he says, he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat any tree in the garden? When you look at the John 6 scripture, it's like a mirror of that. Jesus says, he forms a question in a similar way. Now, I'm not a Greek or Hebrew scholar. Maybe, maybe the text is different, but when I read this in my Bible, this is how it appears. You don't also want to go away, do you? You see how it's kind of like the same... He's formed the question in the same way. Oh, certainly, yes. It's provided... It's provided options. And I think, I think that, that Satan capitalized on our choices by providing Eve options. It might not have even occurred to her at that point that there was yeah. an option there. The thing um, the accuser suggested was, is it, is it possible? He just introduced the topic, is God unreliable or untrustworthy? Mm. And... Jesus brought that question back. Um, Is there anything uh, better uh, than God? Yeah. Do you still trust me? Mm. And it was interesting. The answer was interesting because um, they didn't say what, like just a simple answer as well. Um, it was more of a, a statement of the reality of their situation. Mm. It's funny, isn't it? Yeah, you're right, because Simon Peter's answer is almost, well, we have no choice. It's just the kind of answer that makes me crazy. <laughs> just say yes or no. <laughs> he says, Who, to whom should we go? But I think that is a statement right there, yeah. that nothing else is reliable, trustworthy. Mm. Since so, Jesus was asking him about trust, I think. Yeah. Well, I've always thought that the, the issue in Genesis 3 was trust. Mm. And I think that Eve didn't trust that God loved her. And as you said before, Satan offered her something she already had, but made her doubt it. That seems to be a pattern. Uh, and obviously, Eve wouldn't have had that pattern. She was <laughs> sort of seeing the deception at first in line. But it does seem throughout the Bible that Satan is over and over again trying to offer us what we already have. Mm. Do this and you'll be like God. I was created by oh, God yeah. about 45 minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> and I have everything that he's made. 
except for this this thing yeah and so as a parent now I guess there are two questions do you really want to know all of the outcomes could you cope with the responsibility of knowing that or even the suffering of knowing that at the moment we don't really know what's going to happen in our children's lives I think I've changed my mind we've been talking about this a lot lately and I really want to know everything so I can step between the raindrops a bit. But actually, I am not my kids. Um, I'm not going to live their life for them. I couldn't if I tried. My job is to teach them everything I know, love them, keep them fed and safe. If I know that, oh, I don't know, there's a nasty tummy bug going around on Tuesday the 13th at 9 or <laughs> I don't know if I can really do anything about that anyway mm. and it just distracts me from my job which is almost half the four times table <laughs> at the moment <laughs> and that's it that's the job mm. and all the rest I'm suggesting to you that the situation wouldn't be much better because we can't I mean where Linda and I got to was that we really wanted to be able to control mm. but we also felt very nervous that maybe we were we were influencing outcomes so it was a sort of double-edged sword where, where we wanted to know so we could control it but if we got it wrong we were then responsible for a bad outcome which you don't want to carry the weight of but if we're talking about knowing all things and knowing what the outcome is going to be anyway what power do we have to change it? So then we're just then we're just in a situation where we're having to watch mm. something unfold. Yeah, you're certainly better off investing in your ability to react to situations. We do a lot of that at work, actually, spending less time saying, make sure you've got an umbrella, as sort of equipping people, little tiny people, about what would they do in this situation. I mean, emotionally and sort of socially... So, I, again, I feel as though knowing everything, as awesome as that would be and how I claim to have that ability to my children from time to time, it really does distract you from the job. Do you think that that's God's focus on us, to prepare us to cope with circumstances rather than to change circumstances? I don't know God's motivations. I've, I've, I feel close to him when I read the word and when I see things in my life, I feel as though, and I don't want to turn to Plato here um, and just pretend we're in this waiting room called Earth until we get on with our real lives. I think, well, if Tom Wright's correct that this world is actually going to be our um, real life. It's going to be renewed. But I feel as though this phase with aches and pains and jealousy is not going to be as long as the other bit. Mm. And if I was God... If I was God... It's weird to say that. <laughs> well, if I was God, I would work on the thing that will be always useful, mm. and that is uh, service, love, trust, truth. I mean, yes, you paying the rent's a good idea. But you can pay the rent with those things too, actually. Mm. There are plenty of occupations and professions in the world where you can use your duty 
and your honour and your care and survive mm. live comfortably even. Mm. You said it right there when you said, if I were God, because that's really what's happening in Genesis 3 and then the, the mirror image of that, the opposite, if you will, in John 6, where Eve decides to indulge in herself. She, she chooses herself mm, over God. I, I would be better just on my own without God. And Simon Peter says, we are better mm. with God. Not yeah, just even all she had to have said was, "I think I can handle this on my own." Mm. Maybe not. I can make my own garden, and the fountain would be over mm. there. Um, but if like, I knew all that, I, I wouldn't need mm. God. Yeah, he must be holding out on me. He's done all this stuff. That sounds like me. Yeah. So why is it so hard for us to trust that God loves us and that He can do a better job? Do you? I mean, as a father, do you expect your children? To trust that you love them enough to make a good decision for them. Obviously, no, no one's no. expecting you to make a perfect decision because we know we're not God. It's interesting. I mean, At least some of us do. I work with children for a job and I don't expect anything from them because they don't know me. And I had that mood, that sort of inclination towards my own kids. It felt so we just met. I remember the first thing I ever said to my daughter when she'd been alive for about seven minutes or something. I said hello, <laughs> so I'm your dad, and I'm never going to stop trying to look after you. Let me know if it becomes a problem. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I started with this introduction, and this, uh, but that being said, I am outraged on a level that is not even pride when a younger person thinks that... I'm up to no good, or perhaps I'm fobbing them off, or perhaps I haven't really thought about it, or something. Oh, okay. That I haven't taken them seriously. It's, it's sort of—it's hard to explain. I'm not quite uh, aware of it myself, but it goes beyond pride or inconvenience that you, know, you really can't run with scissors. It's—I'm quite baffled that you think I'd make up a story so outrageous as you can't run with scissors. Hmm. So yes. I think that I suppose on some level I do expect a certain amount of trust, not even respect, just a bit of belief that I'm I'm taking them seriously. Mm. When I say that I have someone's interest at heart, I'm really surprised that they don't just know that's true. Mm. So I'm not sure. I think when push comes to shove, yes, I do expect people to trust me a bit. It's a weird sentence in itself. But I certainly behave with an understanding that it's all pretty new mm. to people who don't know you. It's pretty new to anyone who doesn't live inside your head, quite frankly. Yes. So how does that go as a father with your relationship with God? If you, if you turn that back on yourself and look up to him, does it seem a bit unreasonable that you shouldn't trust him? Do you think he expects in the same way? Or, or do you think he's set up a model? Oh, he most certainly has. For you to realise that. We live in this world that's quite dangerous and scary. I think he probably forgives us if we are nervous about Well, you him. forgive your children, don't you? Absolutely. I'm not really talking about is God angry with you. I'm saying, do you think he wants you to see 
Uh, being a parent has really shown me that without trust, the system breaks. Mm. It just doesn't work. Mm. And there's been plenty of times where the, the trust can be a little bit over the top. Like, have you, have you experienced that thing when your daughter just decides you're going to catch her and she jumps anyway? <laughs> That's a good one, Well, no, it? I'm generally not doing those kinds of activities. Oh. Um, but, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Mm. Yeah, well, being the dad, I've obviously got the beanbag job in the house. <laughs> yes. And a lot of daddy watch this. It's definitely a, quite a, a stiffening sound. <laughs> um, yeah. So yes, I guess I have seen some truths through my through being a father that a certain extension of trust and belief that we're not a family by a mistake mm. um, needs to be there. You said exactly what I hoped you would say because I have a theory that if you don't first believe that God loves you, the relationship stalls. Mm, right. Because you have to, you have to trust that he loves you as a as a first point. Once you believe, then you, you know that that he is God and and Jesus has has saved you, and and he's done all these things. He's risen from the dead. When you believe all of that, then the relationship starts. And if you don't, if you can't trust from there that God loves you, then moving forward, developing a relationship is is. No, I think you most certainly start developing something else, um, mm. but it's not really a relationship. Mm. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I I said to Linda, of course, that you know I was always waiting for the axe to fall. She mentioned waiting for Jesus to pop out from behind a tree and get her. Kind <laughs> of reminds me of Gargamel, or that—that that was what I was trying to think of in the episode. But now, as a father. If, if our if our daughters said to you, we're just we're waiting all the time for Daddy uh, to pop out from behind a tree and do something horrible, mm. I think that would hurt you. Yeah, that'd be really distressing. I'd wonder where I went wrong. Really, mm. I gotta say, I don't. I've never really had that feeling. I have my own uh, relationship with God, but worrying that He's going to jump out and get me or teach me a lesson <laughs> is not one of them. Teach me, it's a funny thing to say, isn't it? Well, just just, mm. just as you as a teacher. Get revenge, I guess. Yeah. I wonder what that would look like. Um, revenge, yes. Yeah, and I, I've been wrestling with this one a little bit, and I've reached a point now where I feel as though God's judgment is terrifying, but our situation is terrifying. The possibility of annihilation is real. But you think, oh, how could God possibly do that? I just imagine it like being lost at sea. And you're just floating around the ocean. And there's lots of people saying, oh, I can swim for hours. Don't worry about mm. it. And God is saying, hold on to the life jacket. It's right there. All you got to do is put out your hands and hold on to it. And people say, oh, without that, without that jacket, you'd drown. But yes, that's absolutely it. You're in a situation, it's a, it's a dangerous situation, and maybe it had a lot to do with Eve. I wonder whether this, this fall of man is something that happens on a daily basis, as well as had a, a first time, I guess. Mm. But I don't feel as though God's judgment is any more uh, vengeful, which is probably a, a silly thing to say because it is in the Bible, than someone 
uh, like the ocean getting revenge on you because you can't move your fingers. Like you just reach out and take it. Mm. It's, it's the offer of salvation that we got. And um, I'm holding on. Thanks for listening today. You can find out more about the show, our guests, and subscribe and download through all our channels by visiting thegospelaccordingtomum.com. In part two of my conversation with Ben, we'll be recapping episode two with Cheryl Brooks. If you'd like to review the scriptures we discussed, please visit the website for the references in episode seven's show notes. In the meantime, be encouraged, friend, and remember the God who taught you to love will not leave you as you walk with him more and more at your own pace. I'm Tanya Reason, and you've been listening to The Gospel According to Mum. Till next time.